Welcome to this episode of Education is Life. Today we have a parent from uh, Greenfields with us uh, who's going to be able to share some of their background and some of the experiences at Greenfields. Uh, Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks. Good to be here. So, Chris, just if, you, if we start with what your education was like, uh, your K-12 and college or any posts you did, like what was what was your experience with schooling? Yeah, so I grew up in Western Massachusetts, um, for Western Massachusetts, one of the, the bigger cities. Like I think our high school was about a thousand kids, something like that. Um, but yeah, pretty standard, you know, K through 12 experience. I would say most classes were, you know, they were fine. I, I did well, like I got really good grades and everything, but not much like truly interested me. Like I found school pretty easy, honestly, got bored a lot. Um, I was in band that carried me through for most of the time. You know, like I really enjoyed that aspect of school. Um, I was even like drum major my senior year in concert band. Um, I tried to get into jazz band, but that didn't work out so well. Uh, just scheduling wise, <laughs> it, it, it didn't happen. Um, but yeah, and then I had like I do remember some some teachers that were really good, like you know science physics teachers that I really enjoyed. Um, but yeah, most most of the schooling was pretty boring. Um, yeah, like yeah, the only the only class I remember not doing well in was creative writing, and it's not because I couldn't do it. I mean, I don't consider I don't care for writing too much in general um but like i think it was the only class that i almost failed but it was only because i didn't do the work it's not because i couldn't do it it's just i chose not to <laughs> um but we were just like this is silly i'm just not doing this yeah it's not even so much that it was silly it was just i didn't feel like it <laughs> like i had no desire to do the assignments um and the ones that i did like i i definitely didn't put any like true effort into it it was just enough to pass the class but like most other classes especially science and math stuff it'd be like straight a's and i wouldn't even have to really do much for it it was just that stuff came naturally to me and there wasn't much like homework or project time or st stuff like that it was just do well on the test and that was fine um but yeah, like I mentioned, you know, the the band and the music aspect stuff really, you know, spoke to me. I spent a lot of time doing that. You know, that kept my spirits up, I guess you could say. Um, Were you in I a band did, outside of school? I was. I was in a rock band, um, which, yeah, we played some local gigs. Um, it was fun. We even had an album, which I think is available on iTunes, if I remember correctly. <laughs> That's um, cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, but... Yeah, I think one of the other like interesting aspects of it, I was in a couple marketing classes um, where I actually got to run like the school store. We had like a store open in the uh, cafeteria. It was mostly like candy and snacks and stuff like that. But there was like some like notebooks and sweatshirts and stuff like that. But it was mostly just candy. Um, <laughs> well, that's all anyone bought. Yeah, for the most part. Um, 
But yeah, so the first year I took the marketing class, I just got to run the store. So I was, you know, behind the counter, you know, doing sales. And that got really busy because there was a lot of people in a very short period of time that could come in. Um, but then I took the second year of the marketing class and I actually got to like manage the store. So I actually got to like place orders and like stuff like that, which which was fun. I really enjoyed doing that. Um, but yeah. So, so far, we have two of your biggest memories from school of creative writing, where you just kind of dialed it in, yeah, and running the store and band. Yeah. Yep. Sounds about like, right. Yeah, and then like the whole like physics and science classes, stuff like that. I certainly enjoyed those, but I wouldn't say there was anything like truly noteworthy about them. They were just, oh yeah, this is this. All right, that's good. I like it. That's fine. Did you have to dissect anything? Yes, but I don't remember. The only thing I remember dissecting is worms. I'm sure I did other stuff too, but I, I don't remember. I had totally forgotten about the worm, but now I now I definitely remember on the like pla- <laughs> the black plasticky thing that you cut them on yep. and you pin them open so you can see the things. Yep. Yeah, we, we did we did frogs in middle school, and then the, like I'm thinking what my memories were. Right, uh, mm-hmm. we did cats. And oh, wow. uh, that was weird because it's like, I've actually skinned a cat and that's just weird. Yeah, that is weird. <laughs> but anyway, random memories from uh, K-12, but, you know, when we talk to a lot of people about memories from their childhood and memories from school specifically, uh, very few of them have to do with what actually happened in the classroom. Right. Uh, it's a lot of kind of like, like what COVID is, right? It was just a big smear of time that you just did what needed to get done and you moved mm-hmm. on. But the things you really wanted to do, you snuck in during recess or after school or during creative writing class, I guess. Yeah. Um, um, so, so you did pretty well. Um, you enjoyed some of the marketing stuff and doing some hands-on things. What did you end up deciding for uh, college or I guess, assuming you chose to go to college. Yeah. So I did choose to go to college. Um, and it was one of the things I didn't put much thought into it. I'm sure like a lot of people, it's just like, Oh yeah, you go to college. That's what you do. Um, so that's what I did. Um, so yeah. Did your parents go to college? No, neither of my parents went to college. Um, Yeah, no. Yeah, they they did not go to college. I know my mom didn't go to college. I don't think my dad went to college. He worked in a machine shop. He still works in the machine shop. Um, But like he started as a machinist and now he's, you know, does ordering and client relations and stuff like that. Um, But yeah, I'm pretty sure he didn't go to college for that. Um, But yeah, so I went to college. Um, My overall college experience, probably not typical compared to most people. Um, I went to one school that I thought I was going to like, um, turned out it was much smaller and let's just say easier than I thought it was going to be. Um, and I went for like, I went to school for like some kind of like just generic business thing. Like I didn't know what to do 
with my life, like most people. Um, you know, like I was, it sounds like so much like my experience was like, <laughs> you, you just, you, you go to college because that's what you're expected to do. Yep. Um, my, my dad graduated from Cleveland state. My mom didn't go to college and out of my, my mom has seven brothers and sisters. And so I got cousins out the wazoo. Mm, yeah. Out of all of my cousins, no one had gone to college yet. So I was the first one. Wow to go to college. And I was by no means the oldest. It just, mm-hmm. it just wasn't something that happened in our family. So, but there was yeah. no, like, how do you pick a college or what do you do? Um, right. But there also seemed like this is what high school was about. So like all this train, like there's a certain buildup of excitement about what college was supposed to be. Yeah. Um, but I had a bit of the same thing. I got there and like, for me, it wasn't, it was the town was really small. The college wasn't, but it was like way easier than I thought it should be. It seemed like it was just going to be a waste of time. Yeah. Yeah. So I went to that college for a year and a half and yeah, it was like you just said, it was a lot easier than I was expecting it to be. Um, I didn't feel like I was getting a whole lot out of it. Um, like the people weren't bad there, but I wasn't like really making any connections or anything. Like I wasn't, I didn't feel like I fit in, um, to put it bluntly. Um, so then I found another college in the same area, which was a, a technical institute. Um, so I went there and that was a complete 180. That was way over my head. Like <laughs> it was the first time in my life where I was just like, Oh, this is not going to be easy. This is going to take a lot of work. Um, so I went there for a year. Uh, at that point it was computer science. Um, so yeah, I stayed there for a year and then I dropped out of there mostly because not because it was hard, but mostly because it was really expensive and I still didn't think it like justified the cost. I don't remember how much it was, but it was a lot more than the previous <laughs> it, it college. It was probably like $18,000, right? <laughs> and now college costs are just maniacal. Right. No, I want to say this one was more like it, it was expensive even for, for back then. And then. Um, but, and then all like all through college, even the first one I went to, I was still working part-time. Um, I've worked a lot of hours since I was 16, I think like, it's just something I've always done. I enjoy it. So it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I was, you know, working a lot of hours and then trying to, you know, keep up with these classes and stuff like that. And I just didn't think it was worth it. Um, so I ended up leaving that school, took a little bit of time off, just worked a lot basically. Um, and then I ended were up you going, doing computer type work or what were you doing? Um, no, I was working at Walmart most of that time. Actually, I had like some other random side jobs and stuff like that, but, um, yeah, for the most part, it was Walmart. Um, but, um, yeah, so I, I think I took a year off or one semester off. I forgot what it was, but then I ended up going to Boston um, where I got a job in an accounting office at a IT consulting firm and went to school part-time while I did that. Um, so the workload was much more <laughs> manageable, you could say. Yep. Um, and then, 
ended up getting my associate's degree through that college while I was working. Um, so yeah, out of probably like six years worth of school and yeah, I ended up with a two year degree and I probably have <laughs> enough credits to get like right. an actual bachelor's. They, they just didn't organize into anything. Places, so <laughs> no, no one place is going to be like, yeah, we'll take all that. Um, so yeah, I don't regret it. Like by any means, um, you know, my associate's degree has served me well. Um, but yeah, not a, a typical college experience, most likely. Um, uh, how, did that, how did that experience inform your uh, life after school? Um, honestly, I think like the whole like education aspect of it didn't really matter to me too much. Um, I think all the work experience gave me a lot more than the education experience. Um, you know, it's not to say that the education experience didn't play a role at all, but yeah, like I learned some stuff, um, but not a whole heck of a lot, to be honest, through, through formal education. I'm also the type of person that just likes to learn on my own time. Like, like in my current job, like I have to learn new technologies and, you know, new frameworks or whatever, you know, on a regular basis. And it's easy for me to pick that stuff up, you know, just by reading documentation or watching a few, you know, how-to videos or training, you know, like small training courses, stuff like that. Um, I never really cared for like the formal long-term education type of process. So you're, you're built more for what's needed today. The, you need to learn what's coming up next and uh, unlearn whatever wasn't before. And you kind of just that constant cycle of keeping up with the new technologies and keeping up with uh, all the changes that are going on. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely fair to say. Um, I mean, I found one of the things that kind of drives me a lot is I have to have a question that I need an answer to. And then I can focus on answering that question. So, you know, that question might be, you know, at work, like we need a report and it needs to solve, you know, the, the report needs to answer this question. It's like, all right, I can probably do that. But if you just come to me like, I need a pretty report, I'm not going to give you anything. Because <laughs> 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 I don't know what you want. Um, but like yeah, that the, dri- the driving question. Yeah. Like I like to, you know, learn stuff or do stuff because there's a driving need for it, not just because, oh, this is interesting. Let me do this. Like I do that stuff too, but for the most part, it's, oh, I want to see this or I want to know this. So let me go and do that. One of the things that got me pushed deeper into education, someone gave me a book on uh, andragogy uh, when I was working in test preparation. And I'm like, what's andragogy? And like, well, it's like, you know, what pedagogy is, right? Yeah. Well, it's a, it's an adult learning theory. And so I opened it up, started reading it. Um, it's dense, but I got my degree in economics. So I'm used to reading dense stuff. Uh, but the, what struck me was right in the beginning is like, unlike children, adults need a purpose of why to know the purpose of why they're learning something. And I was like, 
no, kids need that too. That's like everybody. Right. I'm just reading this thing. And it's like, this is how people learn, like not just adults, <laughs> right? This, uh, this is ridiculous. And uh, that, that got me all fired up. But that knowing what the purpose is certainly helps drive through and frame the information that you're getting. And I think it also, well, I just think the research bears out that it uh, shows the deeper learning comes from those things where it's uh, purpose-based stuff. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. But you don't need to know all this stuff, right? Because it's just the way you're wired and the way you work. Right. You don't You don't need to be wonky. Um, so what's a, you also have a, when did you do the Appalachian Trail? Uh, I did that right after I got my associate's degree in 2005. Yeah, 05. Um, so, yeah, I got my degree. Um, I was planning on leaving the accounting office I was in anyway. Um, you know, just, you know, have some fun for a little while, hike the trail, and then, you know, find something else when I'm done. Um, and then it turns out the, uh, the office I was in was going to relocate to Chicago. So they're going to lay everybody off. So I, I waited like an extra month and I got like this extra severance package. You <laughs> got to train the new people. It actually worked out really well. Um, but yeah, so I took, you know, six months off or whatever it was, um, to write the trail, which was, you know, an amazing experience, like, you know, 2000 miles along the East coast over five months. Um, I wouldn't say for me it was a very transformational experience like it is for a lot of people, but I think it definitely helped solidify who I am. Um, yeah, like I, I've i always had a lot of self-confidence and like more or less knew who I was. Um, so, yeah, you know, like a lot of the stories you hear about people through hiking, they're like, oh, I changed my life. And, it, you know, I got a whole new perspective and all this stuff. And I'm just like, no, not me. I'm like, <laughs> it's, this is who I am. Like, it was great. I enjoyed it. You know, some days. Probably, probably shouldn't even share this story because I'm going to get it all wrong. But um, somewhere in the series of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, right? Somebody, they have a machine that like just... I can't remember if it was designed to make you go mad or what it was, but it basically showed you your true worth in the universe, right? So it's like, look how small you are in the broad scope of things. Mm -hmm. um, but one guy, uh, there was an alternate universe created just for him. Uh, and so they put him in the machine and it was like, yep, I'm the most important thing there is. I told you. It's like... <laughs> And they're all like, what's going on? But it's like, that's like doing this, what a lot of people find is a transformational experience. They're like, yep, I am who I am. And I am, yep. I got it down. How do you think um, you, why do you think you went into it? Or where do you, where did you get that confidence from? Where did you, was it the more of the kind of working and figuring stuff out on your own? Was it something you had always felt? Yeah, I mean, I think that's just kind of naturally who I am. Um, and like growing up, like I have two brothers were like each, you know, more or less two years apart from each other. Our parents took a very hands-off approach, you could say. Like, you know, they were there. They, you know, they were certainly part of our lives, but they didn't like try to control us or like, you know, 
have many rules or whatever. Most of the time we were just, you know, on our own. We, you know, doing whatever we felt like doing. Um, so I think just because of the environment that we were raised in, we had, you know, the concept of, you know, self-reliance from a really early age. It wasn't even something that was like taught to us. I don't think they meant to do that. It's just, that was the environment we were in. Just, it worked for everybody. So that's what we did. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, because of that, you know, I didn't have, to, nobody was ever like really holding my hand you know, to go right. through things. It was just like, and sure, if I had a problem, I could go to them. Like I had people to go to, but it was just, if I needed it, it wasn't people like, Oh, I think you need to do this. So you should do this. Yeah. No, that's a, I feel like that was a much more common way to parent uh, back in, uh, in my generation for sure. You know, it's uh, the old stories of, you know, be when, be back when the lights come on, when the street lights come on, right? So it's like mm-hmm. you're out until 9.30, 10 o'clock on a summer night, and you didn't have cell phones. There was no way for parents to figure out where you were. If they right. wanted to find me, I don't think they could have ever found me back in the woods. <laughs> right. Um, and yeah. uh, now it's like you're, you're, you get arrested if your kid's at the park by themselves. To, different world. And there's an interesting study that came out last year, maybe that compared parenting styles around the world with the safety nets of those cultures and Mm -hmm. the places that had the highest, highest, I guess is the right word, but the broadest safety net had the most hands off parenting approach. And the ones that had the least security net had the highest, you know, snowplow parents and helicopter parents because yeah. they're just worried about their kids' future. And I feel like the everyone needs to go to college movement uh, has made college admissions feel like a zero sum game. And that's, what's really driven a lot of the, like, I will make sure, you know, you, you hear the stories now about it goes into the work, like their first job uh, and the parents want to be there for the interview. It's like, no, (laughs) just just, just stop. But it does. In the city of Chicago, the selective enrollment process for high schools, same type of thing. And in many ways, it is a zero-sum game, right? There's only so many seats at these selective enrollment high schools, which aren't all that unique in what they do. But uh, the amount of pressure that gets put on seventh graders is just insane all in the name of getting into a good high school to get into a college to get a good job to make a bunch of money to i don't know have a midlife crisis right (laughs) (laughs) but uh that's not what we do at greenfields right our our aim is to do more of the stuff that you're talking about that uh really develop that self-reliance that understanding who you are uh finding out what your strengths are being able to to do hands-on purpose-driven type pieces and get the academics done as as part of that. Um, what has been your experience as a as a parent at Greenfields? Um, I mean, overall, the experience has been great, to say the least. Um, even like this goes back to my upbringing. Like we've taken a relatively hands off approach with Amelia. Like she's pretty self driven on her own most of the time. So. Yeah, there's not much that we need to do. Like every once in a while, we'll need a prodder if she's like slightly behind on project or something like that. Um, but if that's the case, it's just because 
for whatever reason, she's not feeling it that session, um, which, you know, is fine. Um, but yeah. And like once in a while we'll, you know, talk about, you know, what she's working on or what she's doing or, you know, what's needed to get to the next level or something like that. But yeah, we take a pretty hands-off approach most of the time. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting balance from an administrative standpoint too, of, you know, the idea is to create as student driven of an environment as is possible based on the age groups that they were in. Mm-hmm. Um, but making sure that they understand like what the general objectives are and what the, what, what are the challenges, right? Here are the, here's a question that you need to come up with an answer to. And uh, we want you to develop not just not just come up with the answer to that question, but to develop the skills that are going to allow you to come up with the answer to any question that gets asked. Uh, but when a kid kind of like isn't into it that session, or maybe they're not into it two sessions in a row, like when is that time to kind of prod and cajole a bit more? Uh, and we talk a lot about it as a guide group of what's a safe failure and what's an unsafe failure. And uh, most of the time, the answer is just talk to the kid more and uh, see what's going on. And, you know, when, when you have authentic conversations with young people, uh, they, they give it right back uh, and tell you where they are and what's going on. And uh, sometimes they won't have the words for it, but there was a, I was listening to something. There was a high school student talking about, you know, what advice would you give parents? And she said, if we need your advice on something, we'll come and ask for it. And when we do that, we really want, and we really need your advice. Um, but for you just to come to come in to whenever, whatever, and tell us what to do or how to do it, or that we're doing something wrong. Uh, I, that just isn't helpful. And we don't even hear what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, you know, the, no, I'm just rambling. But one of the things that we tell the tell the Griffins is the first step of being a good independent learner is knowing when to ask for help. Because it seems like a strange paradox, like, no, I'm supposed to do this on my own. No, you're supposed to be able to manage the process on your own, the process of learning. And oftentimes that includes finding an expert, uh, yep. finding someone who's been there before, someone who's done it and getting used to that. Because uh, a lot of times... Uh, school is built around like if you ask a question in front of the wrong group like oh you don't know what you're talking about you should have already known that all that type of stuff yeah even like along those lines even at work right now like I love working with the people that ask what other people consider dumb questions because it means they actually care enough to admit that they don't know something and figure out what it's supposed to mean. And I can almost guarantee in a lot of cases, there's somebody else who didn't know along with them, but didn't bother to find out. Yep. That's what I, we tell them all the time. Like you being willing to ask that question isn't just helping you. It's helping everybody else in that who's at that meeting or in that class, whatever, because someone else is in there who doesn't understand it either, but is afraid to ask. And then the other people are all getting a new viewpoint of how to answer your question themselves to make sure they know it. Right. It's uh, all those questions just develop a deeper learning. 
Yeah, and I could especially see that being true in the greenfields environment because, like, if you're just like going over like simple math problems, and you have the one kid who's like, "I don't get it. I don't get it. What's this mean? What's this mean?" But everybody else does understand it. Then that can be a waste of time for everybody else. Um, but you know, because like most of the, like the curriculum stuff is you know Khan Academy or you know whatever the other programs are. Um, you know, they can do that at their own pace. And if they don't understand it, they just redo it. And and if they don't understand that, you know, there are other people they can ask and, you know, get help. Um, but so like some of those more fundamental basic stuff, you know, they don't need to ask all the time. So they can, you know, focus more on the intellectual, like higher level questions to actually bring up, you know, within a group setting. Yeah, like, why are we doing this math question? <laughs> Right. <laughs> <laughs> now I've had, I've had a number of kids like say, I just, why do we have to learn all this math? And I said, well, there's not an easy answer to that uh, or a good answer rather. Right. The mm-hmm. answer is uh, over time, well, starting in 1894. And since then a bunch of uh, bureaucrats and politicians have decided this is what everybody should learn. And so if you want to actually graduate from high school, which probably do because it has some benefits to it. Um, You're going to need to do this. But the reason we don't spend a lot of time creating classes and making you go over it and do it again is because Mm -hmm. the real learning I want to see you get out of math is how to approach a problem, how to apply something you learned from the past to something you're dealing with now, Uh, what to do to, to learn a new concept, what resources can you find to get there? Like, I want you to develop all those learning skills that go around it and, and the grit that it takes to get through learning something you don't really understand that well or something you don't know. Those are all the skills and the mindset I'm looking for you to get out of learning math, right? Mm -hmm. Do I care if you end up knowing how uh, imaginary numbers work? Not really. Do I want you to know there's such a thing as imaginary numbers? Yeah. Right. Do I want you to know that what trigonometry is and what it can be used for? Yeah. Because what you're going to be challenged with is how to bring novel solutions to complex problems. And so the computer's already better than you and probably is only going to get even better than you at solving these math problems. But if you know what problem to ask the computer and know that it can solve it or get the right people to do it, that's really the skill. So you need the exposure, but you know, if we focus on some of that have to stuff as ways to develop other lifelong skills. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, Kind of a side note, I was talking to Amelia about something. I don't remember what it was. But um, something involved, like, doing a math equation to figure something out. And, you know, I kind of worked with her, like, led her in the correct direction on how to answer the question. And the way I framed it, her first response was, why did you set this up like a Khan Academy problem? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, well, I don't know much about Khan Academy, but this is how you solve it. Like, this is just how you would have to do it. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. And just for reference, everyone knows how, how old is Amelia now? Uh, she is eight right now. She's eight. So yeah, the, she's at that point where her brain is expanding too. And the, the understanding of getting to like the, the whys get to be a lot different than they were when they, when they're younger. Yep. 
Uh, so what have been what been what have been some of your favorite projects that uh, Amelia has done in her time at Greenfields? Um, I mean the uh, the business fairs always stand out. Those are a lot of fun, a lot of work, but a lot of fun. Um, what did she do for business fair this year? Um, what? Oh, she made the um, the do it yourself plushy popsicle kits. Oh, that's um, right. Yeah. So it was like the, like the, man, I'm drawing a blank on all the names of them. Uh, like the Kiwi crate stuff where, you know, you, you order a box and then it comes with the parts and instructions and then you put it together. Um, so yeah, yeah, she did that. She, yeah, that went over really well. Um, we did candles the year before, which also went over really well. It was mostly me that made the candles. <laughs> like she definitely helped. Um, but, and she, you know, paid me for my labor. Um, so, you know, it was, you know, so you part of the whole process. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, no, the candles went over really well. Um, and then, yeah, I'm drawing a blank on what else she did. But um, yeah, the business fairs are always really nice. Um I tend to like the uh, oh, the the medieval one that so the one that just happened uh, mm-hmm. because it was virtual it didn't have quite the same effect like it was it was definitely done well for the constraints that we had um, but I remember you know I think a couple of years ago you know you also did the medieval one you know, we got to go to the school and, you know, people had like their old booths to show off, you know, what they learned and what they did. And I mostly being really impressed with the, um, with the blacksmith table because they actually made their own chain mail, which is very tedious. Like that's mm-hmm. <laughs> not an easy thing to do, but they did it and they, they did it very well. Um, I think they, I think they were 11 when they did that. I remember correctly. Yeah, that was yeah. impressive though. They did a big, it was a big piece. It wasn't just like, here's how they would have made it. They're like, no, let's make one. Right. Yeah. Like they made a full shirt. Like it was, <laughs> it was, it was really well. Um, I think that's one of the hardest things about the online exhibition. So is there's a lot of give and take to the exhibitions when the parents can go around or whoever shows up for exhibition can go around and actually talk mm-hmm. to the Griffins yeah. because the Griffins aren't always great at communicating all of what they did and right. uh, all the amazing stuff they did. But when you start asking them a couple questions, you're like, Oh, wow. Like you really, you really got this. We did, we did the medical. Were you for, there for when we did the um, medical simulation? middle school kids so. did it, so I don't, yeah, no. they, um, they had to learn like all these different diseases and what the, the diagnostic tools for it, uh, so that they could, and then we had uh, people trained up as patients come in. And so in their team, they had to like talk them through, ask the questions and diagnose whatever their disease was. And it's the type of thing that the level that they learned this stuff at was just insane. But you're like, so what did you learn today? Like, oh, we learned about some blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, (laughs) you you have no idea. Or, you know, when they're looking to get their first job or go out on an apprenticeship and they're like, you know, I haven't really done anything. Like, 
the stuff we do every day, like even studio maintenance, right? So the Griffins clean the school at the end of every day. In the structure they've come up with, there's like managers in different areas. And so it's like you literally manage your own cleaning crew when you were eight, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, most other people will never get any management experience until they're in their 20s. Uh, right. And I think it's such a valuable piece to understand. And I think today, uh, this week, the Travelers and Navigators are doing a Griffin-led week. So uh, the guide, DJ, isn't isn't running the studio. They're running it themselves. And just that knowledge of what it takes to do that, seeing the other side of it, uh, is so informing whether you end up doing that or not. Like having managed people gives you a better understanding of how to be a good employee uh, or because you understand what it takes to be a manager and what it is they're trying to solve. Um, So I think just, they have all these amazing experiences that they don't even recognize as unusual, special or anything, which is kind of amazing all by itself. Yeah. Yeah. For what they would they consider normal? Other people would be like, wow, you actually get to do that? And they're just like, yeah, that's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, the, the, the easiest thing they have to relate to other kids with is, yeah, I don't have homework. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, really, of all the things you do, all you tell the, your friends about your school is, yeah, we don't have homework. I mean, it okay. is pretty sweet. It's, it's nice. I have to admit, I didn't do homework when I had homework, um, which was really the downfall of my grades. Uh, as soon as they took out grading homework, my grade point average went up like 1.2 wow. full points. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had that belief, like if I can get an a, a on your test, then why do I need to do all this busy work? Right. And um, they didn't like that answer very much. I had one teacher, it was actually business principles who uh, he said, I'm good. You're going to get this like a college class. You're only going to get graded on the tests and that's going to be the only grade that you have. No notebook grade, no anything. Um, I also wasn't very challenged. So I was bored all the time, but I could remember things really well. So I didn't take any notes. I just, I sat there with my arms crossed, leaning back in my chair and just looked at him all class. And then yeah. I'd get the high, I'd get the highest score on every test. And he got so mad. He invented a notebook grade at the end of the at the end of the session, just so he could give me an F. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, I was definitely one of the students that uh, you either loved or you hated as a teacher. And uh, I would say I had probably equal parts. (laughs) (laughs) I... Yeah, so the, the the Middle Ages one, that's a that's a fun one. This was our second time running it through. But the, the pandemic has definitely made things different. Uh, you definitely appreciate a lot more what it what you can do when you're together. Yep. The you know, the travelers and navigators, that group, that elementary school age group has been in person pretty much the whole year. Uh, on a four day a week. So they get to experience a lot of it, but it makes that problem of like the black box of what happens at school from a parent standpoint, even harder because the exhibitions are just watching on zoom. We did one outside. Uh, <laughs> the first one we did the, the mask mask parade masquerade. Oh, right. Right. I forgot the about mask that. Masquerade. Yep. Uh, and that, that was, 
you know, everyone needing to be in their family pod six feet apart, everyone, that was, that was difficult too. So hopefully going into next year, things are, things are going to be better. Um, yeah. Here, here's hoping, but I will say, you know, considering what everybody had to work with, Greenfield's has done an amazing job of keeping things moving. Like, sure, it's not what everybody would want in an ideal scenario, but we're not in an ideal scenario. So you made it work really well. Yeah, thanks. You know, the, the guides put in a lot of work figuring out how we can make it work the best for the students so they're still getting everything out of it. And, you know, in the end, it's the same that happens most of the time. When adults start thinking about how to make things better for kids, they end up bringing in a lot of their own baggage. And a lot of, right. like, they're never going to wear masks all day. That'd be horrible. And, you know, a five-year-old, they're like, well, I guess this is what I do now. Right. Uh, they don't care. <laughs> <laughs> they don't care. There's no, there's no baggage to it at all. Uh, so it, it's definitely been an interesting, interesting year. Um, that luckily, you know, we've gone through pretty much a uh, unscathed from a COVID standpoint. And I uh, have been able to have uh, the kids in school a lot. So from that point, it's been good. But I definitely look forward to yeah. being able to have everybody together again. We've had to split up the school into two separate buildings now. And uh, it just feels kind of empty. just feels kind of like, hello. Um, but the kids are all having a good time. So that's what matters. Yep. Has the pandemic changed any? I know you said that the Appalachian tra Trail was not a transformative experience. As having lived through a pandemic, or mostly so far through a pandemic, um, been something that's changed your outlook on anything? Short answer, no. <laughs> um. <laughs> it's yeah, the unwavering, like, Chris, everyone. <laughs> I'm really one of those people that's like, I'm very adaptable. So no matter what situation you put me in, I can just be like, all right, these are my new parameters. All right, let's go. That's what we're doing now. And like, I may, I may not like it, but if that's the scenario that we have, then that's fine. That's what we're doing. Um, and I mean, and again, like me personally, it actually didn't affect a whole heck of a lot. I've always worked from home a lot. I've like, sure, I used to be more social than I am now, but not by that much. So like, <laughs> yeah, me personally, it hasn't affected too much. My wife and daughter, yeah, they went, you know, through a lot more of a hassle to adjust than I did. So my life around me changed, but me personally, it actually didn't change a whole lot. So for me, it was relatively easy. What do you think, if if anything, Amelia will take away from living in a pandemic? Like, do you think we're going to have an era of like depression-minded people, like from that generation, or is there like this? Do you think there's going to be an ongoing influence having lived through this? I like to think there'll be some kind of ongoing influence um, for Amelia herself. I think she's at the age where it doesn't really matter a whole heck of a lot like i'm sure she'll remember it but i don't think she'll like base her life decisions based on you know the pandemic um so like you know if it happens again in the future she'll be like oh we're doing this again like she'll have that experience and it'll certainly 
you know, help her make decisions in the future, but I don't think it'll be like a life defining moment for her. Um, but that might just be me putting my eyes on her. I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I can, I think the people it will affect the most is, you know, either the people that were in school, especially if they were in like, you know, their senior year and like now that year was kind of busted. They may or may not graduate. Like that's in a whole big, weird situation now where the people like that would have started their career last year. Now, you know, they probably didn't, or if they did, it was a very different experience. Like people that were about to go through a life change anyway, I think will be affected a lot more than people who were just living a normal daily life have to change their daily life, which, you know, sure it sucks, but you know, you get through it. Um, but you know, it's not like it really affected the end result. It's just like, yeah, this year or so, however long it's going to last was rough, but oh, well, that's how I see it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think it is going to be interesting by age how it plays out. My my eldest son is one of those seniors, right? So yeah. this was his senior year, so it's like just totally weird. Uh, and now heading off into college, like, I don't know. I Do you need to have prom to have gone to high school? Like, I don't know, all those things like that. I think of anyway as like the high school experience, if you wrap those things up, what would be there? So much right. of it was missing. Um, but it was also like, it's I, sometimes it just feels like another one of those like old people baggage things that you bring to the table, right? Where it's like, yep. how could you not have prom? Um, <laughs> who cares? When you go back and you talk to people, like half of people hated prom. So, um, <laughs> 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 But it's definitely for those people who are kind of pushing out and starting something new. You know that the frame of reference that you have isn't going to be what it's actually going to be like. Yeah. And so it's like waiting to see what happens. Uh, and I feel like I've been like that some way and just like having to wait it out. There's certainly easier times to run a school than right now. Um, but yeah, I, I, what I hope is people, I think we're going to have a more mental health problems coming out of it. Uh, I feel like it's been long enough now that we're definitely getting some kids in pretty depressive states that everyone doesn't even know uh, that they're in. Uh, so, I, you know, getting after that, um, we'll definitely end up with some more OCD people who, you know, they're washing mm -hmm. their hands all the time. They're making sure everything's right. We, yeah. had, one, we had one student she said she now feels like when someone she doesn't know starts to walk by her without a mask on, she gets the same feeling as she does when a car comes at her. Oh, wow. So I think that it is one of those things where you just don't know what they're, how they're taking it. And so just talking about it, making sure they know that we're there. That's our, that's our pandemic uh, part of the episode. So we, <laughs> I started doing this podcast at, right when the pandemic started. And so we're like, oh, we should put a little asterisk next to it. You know, like this was a pandemic episode. <laughs> was like, right. Yeah, I remember that. Here we are, year some odd months later. So what do you see as a future for Amelia? What do you think she wants out of what, what, what her journey is going to be? Um. 
I have no idea. I mean, I know she keeps saying she wants to go to Greenfields until she can't, um, like through high school, college, if it's <laughs> if it's a thing at that point. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, she she loves it at Greenfields. Uh, she definitely wants to stay there for as long as she can. Um, yeah, know. she 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 needs to get in on. I found out yesterday actually that there's a bet between um, two of the students about who is going to be the longest tenured Greenfields person ever, and uh, they both started the same year, and uh, I th- I think they're one year one or two years older than Amelia. Uh, mm. So, and same same story where it's like, well, what are you going to do for college? Well. Rob said we'd probably have a college by then. (laughs) 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 So she can get in on that bet. Nice. Um, But yeah, like I usually don't even try to think too much about, you know, stuff that far in the future because who knows what it's going to be like at that point and how people change and situations change. You, You just don't know. Like, sure. I think about it, but not a whole lot. I certainly don't put a lot of, you know, time into, you know, yeah, just thinking about that far into the future. Um, but yeah, no, it'll be great to see, you know, Amelia finish going through Greenfields and doing whatever she ends up doing. I know, you know, she definitely likes art, you know, just drawing and anything art related really. Um, but she also really likes, you know, science and, you know, space related stuff. Like we watch SpaceX launches together all the time, stuff like that. So, you know, she might go in that direction too, or, you know, you can always merge stuff like that, be an artist for NASA. Like who knows? Like there's, there's so many options and possibilities. Like, yeah. Now that's fun. That's funny. You bring up the artist for NASA. I was covering after school one day and uh, I was covering after school one day and they it was time to make a video or make it was movie making day or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they decided that they were going to do a trip to Mars and a space shuttle and uh, whatever it was. And one person was at uh, NASA headquarters. And so they were at command center and yeah. uh, like, Hey, we should make a logo for them to put up. And uh, she's, she's like, <gasps> and she wanted to make this like, perfect logo and we have like four minutes right there's there's no time and uh she tried to put something together really fast and she wasn't happy with it and she was like um so i probably would have steered that a little differently if i knew that like the space and art if i would have put those things together i would be like ah maybe you're not the right person to pull this off in the next four minutes (laughs) we we need someone who's just going to throw something together and be happy with it Cool. Well, uh, I got to say, it's been a pleasure talking to you and certainly a pleasure having Amelia as part of the Greenfields uh, community, watching her grow and watching uh, the value that she brings to the discussion she's part of. And uh, it's just a great thing to watch. Yeah, I'm just glad you're here and we can be a part of it. It's definitely worked out extremely well for us. Greenfields Academy, it's worked out well for us. That should, that should be our next uh, our next tagline. I just, who do you think? What type of parent would really struggle being a Greenfields parent? I 
I mean, a helicopter parent, anybody who's like really trying to, you know, micromanage their kid's life. I, I can't see that going over very well because Greenfield is basically teaching the opposite of that. So it'd be really weird to get, you know, complete opposite perspectives. Yeah, we've had a couple of those families slip through the audition process and uh, it works out great for the kid for a couple of years. Um, yeah. But then the, the parent, like their head ends up exploding. And uh, <laughs> and the, the, the kid also has that balance of like, why is my at school life so different than my at home life? Yeah. Uh, and how do I how do I balance that? And uh, so those those. You know, if you're ready to reevaluate your parenting style, uh, then we could work out for you. But if uh, yep. if you if you are super worried about what college your kid is going to go to when they're seven years old, like it's going to be a rough run because that's I believe we do a fantastic job of preparing young people for whatever it is they want to do, whether it's college or start their own business, do a nonprofit, uh, whatever. Um but we don't spend a lot of time worrying about it or talking about it or making sure everything is aimed up at that. Right. Yeah. So uh, again, I, I apologize for almost ending and then having another question, but nope. so what happens. It's a podcast, <laughs> man. Cool. Well, thanks again, Chris. Uh, really appreciate your time. Uh, go out and have a wonderful day as the weather dropped 30 degrees from yesterday. Right. Um, and uh, we'll talk again soon. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Rob. All right. Thanks, everyone. And uh, please subscribe. And we will talk to you next time. And there's that. <laughs> now, it's, it's been a while. I need to get I need to get tighter in terms of things to make sure they get covered and time to kind of like free roll. Cause I, I think my first one, so this was better. I think the first one lasted two and a half hours. Oh, wow. um, <laughs> <laughs> it's cause it was interesting. Right. And like, right. especially during the pandemic, I don't get a chance to talk to people very often. Right. So yeah. it's just like, Oh, that's cool. What about this? What about that? And I, I gave it to the editor and they were like, what have you done? Like, this is, <laughs> Like, oh, this isn't what we're going for? Okay. Um, so what I do need from you is a headshot. Do you have one? Or something that could work as a headshot just for the cover art for the episode? Uh, I'm sure I can find something. Do you need it now or just soonish? Uh, like in the next few days. Yeah, yeah, I can send something over. Cool. Um did you did you see the email I sent out yesterday? I did. Um, yeah, like Say everything that. in there sounds you know amazing. <laughs> what you want to do, you know, to grow and everything like that. Um, I will admit the uh, the uh, updated price is not <laughs> a welcome site. Um, yeah, and like I certainly understand if you know that's how much you need to charge to run the place, then that's how much you need to charge. Like, there's probably not a whole lot of wiggle room in that. Um, I will say though, if Greenfields was, you know, 
20 grand or, you know, 19, whatever it was. Um, when we were looking, we would, we would not have even looked at it. as soon as we saw that price, we would just said, Nope, that's too much plain and simple. Yeah, no, I, I, it's probably the thing that has given me the most consternation over the years, but we just can't make the numbers work. Yeah. In the end, that's just kind of what it came down to. And so we'll offer more financial aid. I mean, it goes to the same thing that I get mad at colleges for doing. Like our, mm-hmm. our price is $72,000 a year, but the average that people pay is 32. It's like, right. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't make any so sense. I, I th- you know, we've had to limit our financial aid to half of what tuition is. Um, mm-hmm. And so this will actually allow us to get more people in on the lower side. Um, but it also just allows us to kind of get off the snide. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like I, I totally understand. I've always been impressed by how cheap it has been. Honestly. Um, I will say too, though, just the, the timing of that email with the price increase. And I realized like, you know, that's for new students in a couple of years or something like that. Like that doesn't go into effect for everybody right now. Um, but the timing of that is not great for us personally. Um, so I'm going to tell you something pretty much nobody else knows this, um, mm-hmm. but Grace is most likely going to quit her job like in the next week or so. Um, and she doesn't know what she's doing next. So we're going down to one income, which we can kind of make work. <laughs> <laughs> so like knowing that and then seeing like, Oh, Greenfield is going to get more expensive. Like, uh, <laughs> That makes it even harder. I mean, like long term, I don't think it'll be a big deal. Like I'm sure Grace will find something else. And like, even if she doesn't make nearly as much as she is now, it'll still be enough. Like we've been living quite comfortably for a while now. So like, it's, it's not a big deal, but. There's big benefits to living beneath your uh, means. Um, So that when you do want to quit a job, it's not a big deal. I mean, it's a big deal, but it's not an existential question. Right. It's not. Like, oh, we have enough money to feed ourselves for like the next two weeks and then what are we going to